Welcome back to the Photo Banter Podcast. I'm your host, Alex Gagne, and on today's podcast, I speak with integrated producer Amy Yvonne Yu. Amy has worked with clients such as Apple, Nike, Levi's, Facebook, and Bose, to name a few. She produces both still motion and experiential campaigns for both agencies and clients directly. She has collaborated with both photographers and directors such as Albert Watson, Todd Selby, Peggy Sirota, and Jill Greenberg, to name a few. In this interview, I speak to Amy about her journey through the creative business, as well as what advice she would give to younger creatives looking to get their foot in the door. Um, Amy is someone who brings a wealth of knowledge and experience in the creative business, and so I was really excited to get a chance to speak with her. So I hope you enjoy it, and thanks so much for listening. All right. Well, Amy, Yvonne, you, welcome to the podcast. Uh, we're, we're giving this a second go. We, we tried on a landline, little uh, uh, technical difficulties. Um, it's been interesting. <laughs> That's kind of the funny thing uh, with everything going on with the pandemic stuff. Everyone's on Zoom calls and it's like a whole nother way of working. Like, um, have you been doing a lot of conference calls and stuff with yourself just with everything going on with like Zoom and whatnot? Oh, my gosh. So many because I'm working right now. So that's all my work meetings. Yeah. And I already have a lot of work meetings. And then additionally, like words that you would never have heard from my mouth uh, <laughs> two months ago. Do you want to FaceTime? <laughs> I live by myself. Like literally, like so not my thing. But I live by myself in a 400 square feet apartment in downtown San Francisco. So that is literally my only social yeah. uh, inter- interaction with anyone and my friends. So I feel like my personal is now feeling like work because of it, although different, you know, but it's hard. It's almost like sometimes I crave just a phone conversation because I feel like I'm doing too many Zoom and blue jeans and video conferencing as a whole. Yeah, it's really weird. I actually just read an article. I think it was online today and they were just talking about how um, communicating through like online video is kind of like it's it's a weird way to communicate because there's always like a delay. So it's just like, it's not like natural. Mm-hmm. But anyways, it's, it's, it's the new world we're living in. Um, but before this, we were talking about just with everything going on, um, like how's your kind of day to day with work kind of changed uh, with the projects you're working on with everything going on lately? Sure. So typically I'm a little unusual as a producer in that I do do client and agency side, which is a lot more creative because that tends to be like, you know, curating ad campaigns and being in all the creative meetings, like, you know, the month or sometimes in bigger things, I'm working on six months in advance, just dealing with the creative before it goes to a photographer or a director, you know, whereas like, And then I also own my own production company where I line produce shoots, which is basically like producing the shoot, which is like, do you have catering? Do you have all the crew lined up? Do you permit, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Do the shot list, which is a lot more nitty gritty. Mm -hmm. So I do both. I just happen to be in-house client side right now producing campaigns, which I'm very grateful for. Um, So for me, at least, unlike a lot of my colleagues who didn't really have to work from home mostly, I actually have an office set up in my 400 square feet apartment, which (laughs) helps, you know? Yeah. Yeah, So that's 
that's been a lot different, I think, in terms of the type of shoots or content in general being creative right now mm. uh, was super limited because we are not shooting. We've decided not to shoot pretty early on as a company yep. because basically we said we are not going to have our vendors take risks that we are not willing to take ourselves, which is absolutely the right and ethical thing to do right now in a pandemic. Mm-hmm. Um, so therefore, you know, I'm sure a lot of people have seen this one viral spot that has gone out, which is every single spot is feel looking the same right now. Yep. There's a reason for that, because we're limited to user-generated content, stock footage, animation, motion graphics, yep. uh, and p- people that can create by themselves at home. Yeah. That's literally every single promo I'm getting from everybody at the moment. I feel like I feel like this is a great time if you're like an illustrator or like an artist where you can you don't rely on people or locations mm-hmm. like uh, this is the time to shine for them. Uh, is that something like you think you're going to uh, companies are going to have to utilize more like illustration and like uh, this different types of motion stuff, I guess, moving forward, you um, think? I mean, I do think so, just because due to the limited um, options we have. For, I mean, in life, you know, it's kind of like you want to go to that restaurant you really like every week. Yep. Well, you can't because yep. you're limited by what's open and mm-hmm. what's possible right now. Yeah. It's the same thing for production. Yep. I think um, aside from the fact that I think, you know, motion graphics and illustrations um, are less affected by nature, and I feel like there's a lot more demand for it for sure. Yeah. You see a lot of these stock footage companies that are actually so overwhelmed with requests, they're, they're not taking work on for some of them yeah. or hiring more people to you know take care of the bandwidth mm-hmm. because everybody is in the same boat. You see more photographers and production companies sending promos saying, hey, I live on a farm i have three llamas or my wife is a dancer and i have three kids so if you need something like that i can shoot it for you right yeah. so you limit by what people's homes look like who they have available around them as talent sometimes you do have a photographer that has a model or ballerina wife mm-hmm. uh, sometimes you know you have a photographer who's married to a prop stylist so those situations are excellent to be yeah. aware of because then that opens your world a little bit more. What I'm seeing also now is like a lot of production companies with uh, directors and cinematographers that have their own gear. You know, they're letting us know where they live, what mm. their family is, uh, you know, because that's what we're limited to. Yeah. So you're still receiving a lot of like promotional material from different artists and photographers and creatives. Um even with everything going on, because it's, it's like a conversation I've had with some friends. I'm like, should I still be marketing the same way I did before? Or is it kind of like tone, yeah. tone deaf in the terms of like everything's yes. going on? So it's like this, it's a whole new world. So it's like, fine. yeah. Such a fine line right now. It's so funny. And I actually started trying to compare, am I getting more or less promos as before? I feel like there's a little bit less. 
Yeah. Some people are actually sending more, which is a bit of an, an annoyance right now. <laughs> yeah. Um, to be honest, because I mean, it's the same. You look at advertising. I don't know about you, but I'm actually really put off by a lot of brands that are aggressively advertising to me right now. Mm-hmm. Because it's like nobody needs to buy more clothes right now because we're at home wearing that same T-shirt right. and our bathrobe. And, and some people are not even wearing pants. Come on, let's get real. <laughs> uh, that's just the reality. Uh so it's like, I'm like, no, no one's going to buy your $4,000 dresses on that rack. Who cares? Yeah. You know, it's the overnight, it changed from what our wants are to what our actual needs are very quickly for mm-hmm. majority of the population. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, it's tough. So, it's tough because like even yourself, like I, you work freelance um, sometimes as a line producer and all the different production stuff you do. So it's like everyone wants to keep in business but it's like this weird like balance of like not being too aggressive but still letting people know you're still out there i guess i think my approach is just trying to i haven't been marketing to like any new clients i've just been kind of staying in touch with people that i've worked with over the years and that's just kind of been my approach right now i mean i'm sure it will change eventually because everyone's you got to keep making money but yeah it's just kind of a, a tough balance i guess you know, it's interesting. A lot of people do consult me on promos and what works and what doesn't because I have that perspective from the client side and I do speak to this quite a bit. Yeah. So I think like I love what you're doing in that, you know, and what you know, I've been in this business eighteen years. It's all about the relationships that I have with people and knowing what people do. Mm-hmm. And at the same time it's kinda like I don't hire, you know, a mechanic to give me a facial. So if I'm reaching out to a new client I need to know what they're working on and that what I do is actually appropriate for them, you know, to not be completely tone deaf. Mm -hmm. Because, you know, because like when I worked at Attic, which was like one of the very high end design shops that turned into a creative agency because they want Scion, everything we did was super edgy. um, And it's just the aesthetic of the clients we were working on, you know, Scion, Adidas, and et cetera. And I remember a photographer contacted me who shot like very happy, shiny, like fake, almost like your typical McDonald's ad with kids smiling yeah. fakely. Yeah. And 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 I and he actually wrote me like, I would love to work with you guys. And I'm looking at the promo, just going like, what planet is this person <laughs> on? Yeah. Like, do you even? do you mistake me for somebody else yep. or do you think we do different work? Because like, this is like literally the opposite of what we do. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, so, so when you get stuff like that, um, it's pretty jarring uh, and inappropriate, you know? So it's important. Like, and I do the same thing when I reach out to photographers or directors or clients that I would like to, like, is there actually an alignment? Does this make sense? It's really that easy. Yeah, and then I, I would imagine on the on the opposite side, if someone sends you an email, a photographer you haven't worked for, and they show that they've done the research to see what type of projects you've worked on in the past, and then have something that's that's uh, relevant that they've done to show you, um, is that has that been helpful to you? As it, have you ever kind of like ended up working with someone that way? Um, it's super helpful to me because also I'm very busy. So, I mean, I get so many promos and I actually look at every single one of them. Um, mm-hmm. I don't like a lot of it, but I actually do look at it because I think, especially with the amount of new content creators out there, I like to know what new stuff is coming. So that's like how I kind of 
be in the loop, so to speak, which is very unusual um, in that way. But it doesn't mean that I keep them on my light radar or my Rolodex for down the line if the work is not very good or just something that um, I'm not interested in or whatever reason. Mm -hmm. But, you know, things change. Like, you know, after Attic, I worked at FCB where, I, you know, totally different things like much more lifestyle and food and like pet food so the range of types of work i have to look at change so i think for me i don't mind looking at everything because i don't know what i'm working on yeah a week from now or two weeks from now because it's literally so random it's like i could be working on dog food in three weeks and then Three weeks after that, it's like a crazy shoot with an A-list celebrity that's high fashion. But that's just my life, and that's why I make the time to look at everything. Mm -hmm. um, but I do very much appreciate it for people that are reaching out to me. And it's the same. Like, you know, if you're excited to work with someone and you show it in, in how you approach them, that makes a huge difference. Yeah. No, it's interesting. Like you said that, like uh, one week you could be working on dog food. The next week you could be working on uh, whatever, a car company. So as a producer, mm -hmm. you feel like that's a big part of your job is just kind of like uh, having like a Rolodex of like certain types of photographers, even even if it's not like a I'm sure there's photographers you've worked with, maybe it's not the type of work that you like personally in your own like artistic vision. But if you're working for a certain client, you have to fill that need for that product or service. So yeah. it's, you kind of have to have a, a lay of the land and kind of know what's out there, right? Exactly. And I think in that, you know, when I worked at Attic, I was the only art buyer there. Mm -hmm. So I had to pay attention to, you know, in that case, it was easier because the aesthetic we were going after was much more dark and moody and edgy. So mm -hmm. it's like, you know, by default, you can not look at tons of stuff. Yep. Uh, and then when I worked at FCB, I was the only art buyer and producer for the entire West Coast. So like, you know, and the clients we had, it was like EA Games, we had Del Monte Pet Food, I had Levi's and Doctors. <laughs> yeah. uh, it was like, all it's like Smokey Bear. It was so all over the place. So yep. literally, I went from like dog and cat food one week to like fashion another, and then like nonprofit Smokey Bear. So it was, I had a huge cabinet of promos that I liked, you know, things that I thought was aesthetically pleasing mm -hmm. and of quality that I categorized. So it's like, oh, now you have a car, car account. It's like, bam, right there. These yeah. are some great, you know, so it was very categorized. But at the same time nowadays, because after that, I worked at AKQA, I worked at uh, digital agencies. You have a little, you know, little drawer for your bag so it's like mm. where the hell do i keep all my promos <laughs> so or, organizing it has been a job in itself because now it's all digital <laughs> yeah not for sure and i guess to go back a little bit like like where do you grow up and how do you kind of initially get into like i guess the creative field was like photography and the arts something you were always interested in growing up or what was kind of the beginning for mm -hmm. you i guess Sure. So I grew up in Hong Kong. I'm British from Hong Kong. Um, 
And my family has always been artistic. Like my grandfather is like a painter. My father can draw as well, very well. Wow. So I was exposed to that at a young age. But in college, I actually studied economics, like a good Asian yeah. person, because <laughs> your parents like you're going to be a businesswoman. Hey, that's a better decision than the photography business. <laughs> but you know what? You know what's really funny is that. I have been raising myself since the age of 19. So like, I yeah. literally had a nervous breakdown <laughs> junior year in college yeah. when I needed one more class to graduate as an economics major yeah. Yeah. because uh, the head and the heart were not in sync. And I literally had that breakdown where I'm like, I need to change this because I'm paying for this myself and I'm going into debt to do this. And I don't love economics. I don't want to do taxes or be in business for the rest of my life because I have an artistic heart. Yep. So I literally changed major overnight <laughs> as a junior in college. Holy and what shit. that meant was, yes, holy shit, indeed. <laughs> and people looked at me like I was crazy. The next day I went to the dean's office, changed major, and they're like, um, you do realize you need one more class to graduate on time in four years as an econ major. I'm like, yep. <laughs> Had a mental breakdown last night, and this is, nothing's been clear. They're like, what are you going to change it to? I'm like, art studio. And they're like, um, can you even draw? Yes. When's the last time you did it? At the age of 10. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's and they're like, um, yeah. You do realize you have to stay in school an extra year. And I'm like, yep, thought about that last night. And I'm paying for all of it myself. Yep. Wow. You're absolutely sure. More, uh, like a thousand percent. And then, you know, they did it. They let me do it. I switched all my classes to art studio. And then I went to the, um, the what is it called? Um, not scholarship, but uh, student loan office yeah. right after that. Cause I would need more money. And you know what? That for me was one of the first, one of these divergent road moments in my, that was the first in my life that made um, the best decisions ever. Cause nowadays you look at it, I'm a creative producer. I'm also like um, a fine artist. I do conceptual sculpture okay. and that actually feeds into what I do in that I do conceptual sculpture much like Yoko Ono. It's usually very clever because I'm British. So it's a bit witty with a dry sense of humor. Yeah. And then it's incredible, incredibly beautiful, but it has an idea. But um, which is funny because at the time I was already a photojournalist okay. since 1997. So I've been a musician since the age of 10. I started off playing in an orchestra. I played first violin in an orchestra, and that lasted seven years. And then I picked up skateboarding, and then I went into a punk band. Wow. And then after that, I was actually a touring electronica DJ. I can't keep uh, I can't keep years. track. You got sculpture, uh, photography. I, know. I can't keep. But it all makes sense for me. It all makes sense for me, and it feeds into everything I do. It's like you know. Yeah, yeah. And just, I've always had a huge like proficiency in music yep. and I just kind of did it and for me with life you get into different things it's like you know people always ask me do you have a favorite genre I'm like no I like all good things I could even get into a really good jam band if like you know it's real good yeah. I one thing I know I can't get into country music for life me but you know Willie Nelson Johnny Cash is just like country as I can get but for me it's it all kind of makes sense I was a photographer and I'm a photojournalist in that I'm very good at capturing things that are already there, but mm -hmm. I have 
no desire to tell my own story with a photograph. It wasn't until like now, now I do these personal projects where I do have those ideas, but it's also very specific. It's always very ethereal and it's a little bit macabre, but beautiful, like this beautiful decay idea. So I do a lot of these like of myself in the woods in these very ethereally Mm. beautiful, but slightly macabre situations. And that's what I do as a photographer for myself. Yeah. Um, but I don't shoot it. I just concept it and then I produce it and I work with like a fashion photographer that I know for those ideas. Yeah. Um, whereas, you know, as a photographer, I'm just a photojournalist. I capture that great moment and I move on. I think, um, because I don't feel I have my own photography point of view to do it as a medium. Yeah. No, it's interesting. And I think it's just kind of interesting to hear like just how you're saying you're going to school for economics, then you just take this left turn into going to arts and you you kind of this, I always get frustrated when people say stuff like, oh, I'm too old to try that or I'm too far down the line in my career, I can't switch it up. Cause like in my mind is like, if you want to switch it up, you can switch it up whenever you want. It, it, it might take you time to get to that, the next point but it just kind of, from hearing you, it just kind of sounds like you kind of follow your your passion, your interests, and just constantly trying new stuff. It sounds like. I think it, you know, for me, like I said, I literally had a mental breakdown. It was clear as day something had to change, and yeah. I think you know, this is what I mean by when your head and your heart are not in alignment, yep. that's when you get into trouble. And I listened to it and I followed that instinct. I think a lot of intangible things for people, uh, like mental health, uh, what's in your head, what feels right, or even this like pandemic, you can't see the virus. So for so long, people are like, oh, this is a hoax. It, you know, things that you can't see and aren't as tangible, people don't take it as seriously as they need to. Yeah. And, you know, many of us learned the hard way that you do need to pay attention to these things. And I super paid attention and I've never been happier in my life. I love what I do. It shows in my work and the passion that I do it with. And I make a decent living from it. So, like, yeah, you can, you can laugh. Like, my college actually invited me back as a guest to the department mm-hmm. because of that. Um, because, you know, as risky as it sounded at the time, it was very clear in my head that I had to do it. And it's a must. Yeah, definitely. I think, obviously, it takes everyone uh, different points. Some, sometimes people don't come to that realization till later in life. But like, I think it's important, like you said, you just kind of, you got to follow your heart and you follow your passions. And it obviously the economics are tough sometimes, but uh, I, I think anyone can do it if you like put in the work, you know? Yeah, it's, it's a choice. That's yeah. what it is. I chose to follow that. A lot of people don't. Mm-hmm. Um, and it wasn't an easy choice. Like mm-hmm. I said, I've been paying, raising myself since the age of 19. So economically, it was a very, very big decision. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. And so like when you kind of get out of art school, like what what do you think you are going to be doing? Like at that point, like obviously you do a lot of different mediums, be it sculpture, photography. What was kind of your first step into the world of actually trying to make a living as a creative? Sure. So at the time I graduated in 2000, so that was the tail end of the dot com boom. Um, I was fortunate in that I went to UC Davis, which had an incredible art department. Again, mm-hmm. total dumb luck. 
<laughs> because I did not plan that one. Yes, Wayne Tebow is a faculty there. I didn't know that before yeah. I switched department. Yeah. And I didn't even realize how big of a deal that is until later on when I show up my art and people freak out at my CV. Like, wait, you studied under all these people? Like, is that the people in your department? I'm like, no, I studied under all those people. Yeah. <laughs> um, so choices were basically go into more debt and be a fine artist and go to grad school or move to London or New York because mm-hmm. I do conceptual sculpture. Like that's where I would need to be to be a successful artist. Financially, it was very daunting to go into more debt, even if I were able to get a full ride scholarship to continue doing a graduate program and moving to New York and London also seemed daunting at the time. Additionally, it was, the dot-com boom. So we were all getting seven phone calls a day from blobbity-blob.com with like an offer for a job with like even a humanities degree. So for me, you know, I was a bit good at Photoshop because I have a photographer and I, you know, I shot slide film, you know, I'm actually technically proficient and I shot a lot for the music magazine. So, you know, I actually had some skill set, so I became a web production artist uh, for three months before the economy totally took a hit at yeah. that point. And that's everyone that graduated at the same time I did had the same experience. Economy went under. Most people had to go move back home and figure out what to do. I was fortunate and enough to work at uh, a company where another friend worked and he goes, you're really smart. You can come manage these databases because I know you're really smart. And that's how I retained a job and my salary while nobody else had a job for two years um, before I hopped into advertising. So what you managing databases, what did that entail? That was this kind of like, was it wasn't even like creative stuff is more of this kind of uh, was like, nope. I kind of IT stuff. It sounds like. It was very tech-centric. It was literally managed a database. And the most creative process in that job that I did for two years uh, was color-coding those Excel sheets aesthetically pleasing. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. But you know what? I had a job yeah. uh, and I had a salary. Like, literally, it took people two years almost to get a job yeah. during that time, during that dot-com bust. Yeah. And I think, I think you learn a lot from, I've learned stuff from, I've had plenty of jobs that weren't like creative related, but it's kind of like, uh, it's good to just put in that work, you know, cause if, if you got mm-hmm. the, if you got the drive, cause I'm sure you're, I'm sure like a lot of people they're sitting at their job, they might not like it, but you had, you had aspirations beyond that. Um, like when did you kind of start thinking you wanted to become a producer? Like how did that kind of come in the mix? Sure. So I think that job, I mean, managing databases and managing other things aren't that different. So that job, as seemingly random as it was, it taught me how to manage stuff and expectations mm. and kind of like people around you. Because that's my second job out of college, yeah. uh, which I, I lasted for two years. So coming out of that, and literally I posted on Craigslist, and this is before Craigslist got super dodgy at the time, like, save me from my commute. Cause, <laughs> Uh, and that was the subject that saved me from my commute because I was commuting to the South Bay, which was like, that's how I hurt my back. And I'm like, here are my skill sets. I've been a photojournalist. I know photography. I have the skills and managing databases. And then my next boss, which is Kate Chase from Fat Cat Digital, yep. saw that, like, saved me from my commute. She's like, let me focus on this 
this weirdo. Uh, and that's how I got my job at Fat Cat Digital doing uh, project managing high-end retouching. Wow. <laughs> Literally, that's how I got that job. And I did that for one year before I went to working at Attic, which was another risk uh uh, story of how I and I was literally about to be offered a job as a marketing coordinator for a real estate firm with all my you know photography skills and organization skills yeah. and then a recruiter called me and go hey um, you're super artsy I think this is for you I'm like what is it they're like well it's a receptionist job I'm like get out of town I'm like I'm not a receptionist and, and she goes like no 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 you need to hear where it is and I'm like where is it? <laughs> she goes, Attic. And Attic at the time was like the best design firm in the world. Mm -hmm. And I was like, oh, crap. And she goes, yeah, I know you're not a receptionist, but they also are having a traffic coordinator job that runs a studio. And I know how driven and smart you are. So you're going to walk in there and check that other job in like a week. Yeah. I'm like, and that's literally what happened. I walked into attic. They're like, you're not just a receptionist. <laughs> <laughs> and, and because of the fact that I've always paid attention to who is the photographer for this ad? Who is that model? Because I've been very much involved in the fashion world in New York since the 90s, just from my social circle. Yep. And, and I just am very visually driven so i just personally that's a stephen klein that's stephen mizell blah 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 uh, and so when i worked at attic and did traffic coordinating um all the design directors were like wait amy really knows her stuff with like all these photographers and directors stuff and then because scion uh, we worked a lot with urban artists and those are my friends so it's kind of like Oh, you want that artist? I just call them. Mm. Um, so it just I, so I became the default art buyer <laughs> there, wow. and, and and because it was such a small shop, um, I helped out the broadcast department with their stuff for radio and TV. Um, and at the time, it was like what 2002. I pre-saw that I could not just do still imagery as a career down the line because of inter internet. Yep. So I forced myself to learn broadcast radio and at the time because we were one of the edgier uh firms we were doing experiential for scion so i just did it so i was very early on since like 2002 been an integrated producer across different mediums and because it took them so long to get an interactive producer too sometimes uh, i ended up producing a lot of banners so yeah i still produce banners sometimes and rich uh, media and for like people like if what's like the skill set if someone wants to be obviously an art producer the it's a broad term um but then there's like broadcast producers who generally produce like tv commercials and more motion work if if someone wants to be a producer um what's kind of the skill set they need like do they need to actually know how to edit video do they need to know how the cameras work or is it more just kind of knowing the right people and network and putting the the players in place for each particular project what are kind of the skill sets that you need if you want to work as like a broadcast producer or, or more motion stuff i guess 
Um, the more you know, the better off you are. You know, because of my background as a photographer and having done film myself, I, I'm not an editor, but I know enough about it to understand the process of what's needed. Yep. Because you have to account for all that in your timeline and your estimates. So when, you know, if I'm agency and client side looking at a bid from a production company, I actually know how to call bullshit because I do it, mm -hmm. right? So it's like <laughs> some people hate that because they're like, oh, crap, there goes my pad. Yeah. Um, uh, but it's actually really useful to be able to intelligently speak to all these line items and understand like why you're only getting two shots a day when the, the script looks like that or even a layout. Like, oh, that's a two shot a day because you're going to have to relight all that and get the ground wet and you have like eight talent to get ready. Like, so the more you know, the better off you are. I just happen to be in the mix from different angles. Again, this is very unusual. Mm -hmm. um, however, I am seeing that, I do find that to be an advantage doing that early on because I go between all the different mediums flawlessly all the time. Some people really don't know what to do with it, like the more traditional agencies, like, wait, so are you a print producer, yeah. an art producer, are you a broadcast producer, experienced? They don't know what to do with me. And usually it's like, I probably am not a good fit for your agency if that's the case, and you're that strict in how you look at things. Mm -hmm. Because I, you know, I've been doing this for 18 years, all these different mediums, and I have the portfolio to back it up that's the difference mm -hmm. whereas which is interesting with clients nowadays especially some of these tech companies that are doing integrated media a lot like you know they're like holy crap we found a unicorn um so i feel like i'm able to keep my higher rate uh, because of my experience and also some of these places now training new producers to be integrated producers i have 18 years behind me yeah yeah, it's like it's like any job. The way you are, uh, what do I want to say? Is this like the way you earn your keeper? If you can solve more problems, they're gonna keep you around and keep hiring you. That's I feel like that's what like any job. It's like if you have the skill set and you're the guy who can put out the fire, um, you're gonna keep getting hired. Um, but with like. Uh, with the producing stuff, like having been that you've worked direct with agencies, direct with clients, um, do you have a preference in producing? Like I know you do line producing, you might work with a photographer directly. Um, what are kind of some of the differences and is there one that you like more than other, be it like working for an agency, a client directly or a photographer? They're all very different and I don't think I really have a preference like yep. I do enjoy the more creative aspect of creating the campaign mm -hmm. agency side because I'm very creative so you know there's been cases in meetings where I mouth off and say something and that becomes the campaign yeah and I really enjoy that and having a say in shaping that creative but you know, because of that, when I do line produce where it's like, oh, have you done your catering and this and that, I'm able to speak to it from a more artful way. And a lot of agencies and photographers and directors really appreciate it because they understand that um, I am always willing to work a little harder to make it a little bit more special because that's really important to me. Mm -hmm. So while totally different, I'm comfortable doing both. Uh, you know, 
there are definitely people I really enjoy working with and I'll always want to, you know, line produce for them because it's fun um, because I think you have to enjoy what you do. It shows in the quality. um, And I really have a good time doing what I do. And in the course of you've been doing this for 18 years, like you said, I've been in this business like 12 years and maybe I'm wrong, but I've been noticing it seems like a lot of agencies seem to use freelance producers more and more now. Um, like I know even in the Boston area, um, like a couple of the big agencies, they don't even have like a full-time producer right now. Um, is that like a trend you've been seeing over the years where agencies just kind of hire freelance producers when they have a project or um, what's kind of your view on it these days, I guess? I feel like nowadays there's a lot more smaller agencies instead of your giant big conglomerates. Mm-hmm. So those agencies tend to be a little bit more project-based. So you're not always going to have enough work for a producer, even if they can do integrated media. Yeah. So you bring it on when you need. So it's all about that nimbleness to you know keep your overhead lower. Yeah. So you do yeah. see that in general. I think... Um, it depends on the business and what's needed. So I, you know, just, I think that in default is what's driving that. Yeah, for sure. And like, what are kind of some memorable projects you've worked on? Like you said, like you don't just work on print stuff, you work on motion, uh, experiential, mm-hmm. um, all different types of projects would have been, um, when you kind of look back at some of the stuff you've worked on, what kind of, um, what kind of stuff are you most proud of that you've worked on? I think, you know, I'm always most proud of my personal project. Commercially, I've worked on some really insane things. Like, I produced 32 90-second spots around the world, one in each country that play at the World Cup. Damn. Uh, and they're perfectly in sync. So when you when it's seamed together, you can jump around the world and have this flawless ex- web experience. Um, that was is one of the most aggressive. And I did the pre-production and post by myself. I've never cursed so much in my life. I think <laughs> I would. I, I was making pirates like flush, basically the way I was cursing during that. Um, <laughs> but one of the most fulfilling things for sure. Uh, I think for me, you know, it's like I have commercial work and I have a lot of personal work and I've been fortunate enough to understand the importance of personal work um, because all that is what gets me all my super sexy commercial work all the time. Um, like, you know, I do have done a lot of work with the Selby. I work with Selby on edible Selby and also fashionable Selby. And Mm -hmm. we did all those crazy food films for the New York times, um, as a part of edible Selby, which was a big hit. And, you know, Todd and I are great friends. So, and we're very similar in terms of both our sense of humor and our desire to always want to do really fun things together Mm. and get a crazy amount of work done. Uh, so there's a lot of synergy there. Um, so even like, you know, he's one of the people when we're in each other's cities, we always text each other just to see if we can sync up. Um, and oftentimes he'll be like, Hey, I'm doing, it's all good. in Brentwood, a new Instagram TV thing. Like, will you do a, do a show with him? I'm like, sure. Mm. How did, how did <laughs> so, you, um, how did you start first start working with, uh, I believe his first name's Todd, right? So the, the, so, it's yeah, not t- the. I know it's not the. I, I just I never see his first name, so I always just forget what his first. I know. Name. <laughs> uh, but how so did you funny. how did you first start work, working with Todd Selby? Um, 
the story is a funny story. He and I had a lot of mutual friends in high fashion before we even met. So I was either doing a casting or a shoot in New York for one of my fashion clients. And I was meeting her with Lori Trott, fashion director. And she goes, and she's thinking like, well, Amy's really funny. Who can I bring that's equally entertaining? Uh, (laughs) uh, So she brought Todd. Yeah. And we were at the Mercer kitchen just like grabbing a bite and drinks and we, you know, hit it off because, you know, he's hysterical and apparently I'm hysterical and was like, oh my gosh, you're a total maniac. I loved it. <laughs> um, that's how we met. Yeah. And then we kept in touch and then at the time I was working at FCB and it was a shoot for Dockers. One of my art directors put this, um, you know, deck together and every single swipe was Todd Selby's. And he goes, Amy, who do you think should shoot this campaign? I'm like, um, the Selby? Because every single swipe you took is of the Selby. He goes, do you think we can get him? I'm like, you do realize we're friends, right? Yeah. <laughs> and that's our first shoot together. And due to extenuating circumstances, I actually had to step up and do a bit of the line producing yeah. during that shoot. And that's how we actually got to understand our working styles together. And also during that shoot, um, I would take him to all these crazy places to eat around town. And that's when he realized Amy's palette is really sophisticated. So when I went freelance in 2012, I literally like emailed him, Joe Greenberg, and like maybe Chris Buck and one other person. Yeah. Uh, and and then he wrote me back. He actually called me. He goes, "Amy, great. Now you can produce for me. Like, let's do edible selfie. <laughs> and I want to do more films. I'm like, sweet. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and that's how it started, and it's been ever since. And um, I know because we talked before this podcast is going back and forth the email about how you kind of mentioned earlier with like personal work. Um, like when you say personal work, like obviously you do all your sculpture like you mentioned before. Um, but, but what is kind of some of the personal work that you do, like you said, that helps you get more commercial work? Is it like partnering with different artists and kind of helping collaborating on projects together to like pitch to clients or um, maybe you could speak more about the personal work because I know that's um, something you're pretty um, uh, passionate about. Yeah, and you know, it's funny, like one of the biggest, this question gets asked from so many people uh, all the time too. It's like, how come you get to do all this sexy work? Uh, it's kind of like, it's their secret. Because, uh, you know, if you look at my reel and my portfolio, I have a history of doing um, pretty edgy work in general. Yeah. Um, and it's not an accident. It's like, it's not like I sit around and wait for my inbox to blow out my phone or ring. I, ma- I made it that way, you know, in terms of what I mean by personal work. I'm not talking about my fine artwork, although that sometimes feed into what I do commercially. Yeah. What I mean by it's like if you're going to shoot food all the time for this one client and you don't create your own work on the side, your stuff's going to always look the same. Yeah. I've been working at creative agencies for 18 years, and I'm going to tell you this one thing because no one's going to randomly take or very few people are going to randomly take a chance on you if you know you shoot one thing and on their swipe or their idea is something else because that is a huge gamble and I'm going to tell you why and explain it in a way that makes sense before you even get a call for an estimate as a photographer 
that idea that's on a sketch or whatever that came to you for an estimate, we've been working on it for minimally weeks, sometimes six months to get there. Yep. So think about all the resources required from an ad agency and teams of people that thought about the strategy and creative and all the meetings involved with the clients before it got there. That's a lot of money right yep. there, just those meetings before it even got to you. If you're lucky to make it in like the triple bid, like, you know, that's a that's a big honor. And then for them to spend, let's say, 50000 a day to shoot it, sometimes in my case, you know, I have shoots as big as $4 million. Um, so that's like a chunk of change right there. And we're not even talking about the media buy, which oftentimes is in the hundreds of thousands, oftentimes in the millions of dollars. Yep. So when you're like, hey, why don't you just call me up and take a chance? Like, do you, you, I don't think most people understand the gravity of that favor you're asking because yep. this is oftentimes hundreds of thousands of dollars involved and millions of dollars when you add it all up with media buy. Who is going to take that chance on a photographer or a director that hasn't shown that they're capable of doing it? Yep. No one. So that's what it actually means. So, you know, I get at that favor quite a lot in my line of business. And it's just like, you're just showing me your naivete and not understanding the entire process of what gets put out there. Hmm. Um, so, you know, something to consider. Um, I think, in my case, you know, because of the work, you know, like my personal work, I would consider what I do with Todd Selby, like edible Selby, like the stuff that we do for the New York Times and then fashionable Selby, the book, you know, so I worked on both edible Selby and fashionable Selby, the books. Yep. Um, and then, you know, I've done a music video for Dr. Octagon because I'm friends with Dan the Automator and, mm. you know, he and I mouth off and eat tacos and just talk about weird stuff all the time. Yeah. And I, and I love his music and I love Cool Keith and I was just mouthing off with him one day. I'm like, this crazy idea. I want to do a Kung Fu Tea, <laughs> but I want to do a rap video. He's, and I'm like, you know anyone that, like, has a new album coming out and I want to do a Kung Fu Tea rap video? He goes, why don't you do it for my next Dr. Octagon? I'm like, well, send me a track and I'll listen to it. Yeah. And that's how it came about, you know, and guess what? I paid for that entire shoot myself. I exe I came out with the idea. I executive produced it. I line produced it. I called up my friend Joel, who is a director. He happens to be an Emmy winning director who also loves hip hop and Banda Automator. And we love working together. So I called him up. I'm like, I have this crazy video idea. Dan the Automator just sent me this track and he's down with it. But I want to make it. Like, are you in? And in my head, I'm like, if Joel doesn't do it, I'm not going to do it. And he goes, I am in, but I want a location in Chinatown with a roof deal. I'm like, I know Mr. Juice. And it just <laughs> kind of fell into place. And then the entire band showed up, including Cool Keith and also Paul Banks of Interpol, because they were really excited about my idea. Mm. So, and then it gets written up in Rolling Stones. Mm -hmm. You know, like people are like, oh my God, that's so cool. It's like, well, I came out with the idea and I paid for it myself. It's not magic. I just kind of did it, you know? And then um, the there's a red dress shoot of myself in the forest that's kind of eerie and ethereal and witchy. You know, I called it something wicked this way comes. I just kind of produced it, paid for it. You know, I had collaborators to do it with me. 
uh, it's cheaper to produce a still shoot. You know, video is just a pain in the neck because of the amount of people involved to do it well. Mm-hmm. Um, and I made that, and it's in Dark Beauty magazine. I get booked for fashion shoots in the woods for that. <laughs> you yeah. know, and then I did, and then another crazy one I did is this uh, food film called Black Sesame. Again, I was having dinner with Dan the Automator, and this dessert came out, and it's like this perfectly gray monochromatic dessert and i had been wanting to shoot food like fashion because it's not been like you know really sexy like fashion stuff that looks um yeah very high end you know Mm -hmm. and that dessert came out i was like holy crap this is interesting and i took a picture and and then you know we ate it like holy crap that was a good dessert (laughs) and after that i was like this is the this is the dessert I want to deconstruct and shoot light fashion. I called some people up and made it and, you know, made some comments for post-production. It won food porn film of the year. Damn. You know, so, so it's like, I don't take personal projects lightly in that I am insanely busy. Yeah. When I'm not working, I'm working on something else. Trust me. At any given time, I probably have 10, personal project ideas and five of them are actually insanely good whether or not i actually go through with it is a different thing because you know time is the most valuable thing you can give to someone in that you never get it back so i take it very personally and i take it very seriously in not wanting to waste other people's time because if i'm pulling a favor or wanting to bring somebody else into my personal project like i take it as a huge disrespect if it's not going to work as hard for them as it is going for you so i don't that, so that's what i mean by although i have a bazillion great ideas i yeah. ha, i really sit with it to figure out like okay these are the ones that actually should move forward and make sense uh, so I take a lot of time in deciding that, especially if you're making a film, just because the sheer volume of people that needs to be involved. Uh, and then oftentimes, you know, some things you have to pay out because, you know, that's how it should be. And so I, you know, that's resources that you're paying out yourself. So I really sit with it. Is this piece going to do what it needs for me? And is it going to work as hard for me as it is for everybody else involved? Yeah, I think it's smart. It's just like, it's like, for me, I think it's like momentum. Like if I'm, I'm the same way, I'm always having like side projects I'm working on in between assignments and whatnot. And if it's like, if I can keep that momentum going and this create creating work, if for one, I feel like I, I get better every year. And it, it also yeah. just keep, keeps how it keeps helping you building because people know you're out there and they know you're creating stuff. Mm-hmm. So it's just kind of like, you feel it's, the personal project is just like kind of reinvesting in yourself pretty much. Exactly. It's a huge investment in yourself. So like for all these production companies and photographers and directors that always look at me like it's pure luck that I land into these projects I like working on. It isn't. I made it that way. I invested in myself and I carve out time to make sure of it. Yeah, because I, I get in those conversations with other photographers and they're like, oh, should I should I spend this money and um, run an ad in Workbook or Ad Edge? And I, I, in my opinion, I, I, the way I've been approaching it is like, I'm going to spend that money and like work on a project rather than like, I mean, if you have the money, sure, advertise on Workbook. But I feel like nowadays you can just invest in a project put it on your website, put it on your Instagram and put it on whatever social media platforms you can kind of get it out there. You know, it's just 
keep keep investing in the creative rather than i don't know mm -hmm. some random promo piece i think that that's what i it, agree yeah i wholeheartedly agree because i think also it's like as an art buyer or creative producer looking at work i need to see that you have a strong point of view and that you have passion for what you do yeah. right and and that's what's important to me especially nowadays everyone's a photographer or a filmmaker with iphones and digital cameras that so readily available it's actually overwhelming with the amount of content out there so how do you stand out are you going to just be mediocre like you know i don't look at mediocre work so if you're going to want to catch my eye that's not going to cut it yeah. you know i think it's more interesting when people are passionate about an idea no matter how wacky it is and pursue it and do it well you want to be hired for what you do well and that's how you're going to be excited about what you do yeah. and i highly recommend it you don't want to be jack of all trade master of none i mean there's plenty of those jobs out there mm -hmm. but truly ask yourself is that what you want for yourself yeah yeah i think it's like it took me a long time to figure that out because it's like obviously uh artists creatives out there they want to make a living so they i made this mistake early on in my career i was like oh, i'm going to create this work that i think clients will like hire me for like uh, your typical mm -hmm. lifestyle stuff but then i realized i'm like i don't even care about these photos and no one else does yeah. so it's like i'm gonna exactly. go i'm gonna yeah, go <laughs> yeah uh yeah it's a learning thing you know and like like you said like uh the photographer's work like you can tell if they have a passion for their work, if they if they like skateboarding or if they like food. Like my friend um, in Boston, he's a food photographer and he really he, he lives in that world. He goes to the new restaurants. He's on all the blogs and it shows in his work. It's not just stale. Yeah, you know, exactly. I think, you know, that's very, very important because, you know, it's funny. I have friends that are reps for photographers and directors, and then they get all these conversations from up-and-comers or other directors. And one of the biggest complaints I always hear is, like, they don't really talk about how passionate they are about the work. They just want the money. Yeah. And it's, you know, sometimes it's like, you know, depending on your, your business sense, does that make sense for you? Because that's only going to drive you so far and push you so far. Yep. And you're going to hit yep. that ceiling and then you're going to be stuck. Yep. Like to do really, truly great work, you have to love it. Mm -hmm. I love what I do. I live it. You know, when I'm not doing it, I'm living it. Yep. I'm doing all the weird stuff I do that I talk about, you know, with Todd Selby or whatever, <laughs> because that's my life, yep. you know? So, and I hope that passion shows through when I produce it and the people that understand that really understand it. And that's why I get the phone calls and yeah. the emails for new projects. Yeah. And I'm sure like, like any creative, like uh, some projects are like super creative and they're, they're awesome and they're so fun to work on. But then in between there's some projects that are this like, you know, uh, very straightforward. Like I know I, I do work for like mass mutual sometimes and I love working on the jobs. They aren't particularly the most creative stuff I work on, but it's like it's like a mix of both. Like show your personal work uh -huh. and then there's all those clients you work on in between that are like more straightforward jobs, you know? But that doesn't mean that you can bring like more creativity to those jobs. Oh, yeah. I, mean, I have those too. And yeah. it's like, you know what? I make the best of it. I make it the best version of it can. And I have a really good time doing it. Definitely. So everyone on set's having a good time because that shows yeah. the final product. Yep. So, you know, it doesn't matter if it's dog food, cat food, batteries, mm -hmm. uh, or, you know, cool stuff. I treat it all the same. 
Yeah, yeah. It's uh yeah, you got to go in with the enthusiasm. What it, I always I always it's kind of cheesy, but I always think of this line uh Jay-Z said. He said, uh treat your first like your last and your last like your first job, you know? And it, it, it's it, oh, that's it's, interesting. Yeah, it's very true. It's just it, approach each one like it's it, it's the first mm-hmm. one and you're trying to knock it out of the park. Um but for like photographers listening who are, you know, trying to make that jump into the bigger advertising jobs like you said like it's very hard to get in the door of these places and get a shot because like you said there's so much money on the line everyone the art directors the producers everything their job uh, relies on uh, doing a good job so what advice would you give to these photographers who are trying to make that next step to get more commercial work you think you know, again, I think you have to show passion in your work yep. and, and do quality work. That's just like baseline right there. I think, you know, to be able to get those, you have to show a track record of doing that very well. And then secondly, you need to, you know, market yourself to appropriate people and figure out like, who are the right clients for me? Mm-hmm. Who, you know, and either approach them yourself or have your rep approach them yourself because that's a big part of it. Like, yep. if you know, it's kind of like back to my addict situation of that super happy, shiny, fake lifestyle uh, photographer reaching out to me. And I'm just like scratching my head going, what the hell just <laughs> happened? Like, we looking at different things? Do you think I'm, you know, it has to be appropriate. Yeah. Um, so it's, a, it's about making connections and, you know, and being appropriate and doing great work. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think something that I've done because like I realized soon that uh, early on that they're not going to they're not going to hire you off the street just to do like some six figure campaign um, or whatever it may be. And the thing that I've done that's been kind of useful is I've contacted this art directors locally in in that's maybe some of the smaller midsize agencies. And I'd be like, hey, like if you guys need help with a pitch for new business. Um, you need someone to shoot some photos, I'll do it. And it's actually, uh, I've gotten some really good campaigns from it, like good paying ones. Mm-hmm. And that's something I did early on um, to kind of just get your foot in the door. And I think, and then it kind of totally. helps, it helps you kind of build because then I finally got a real job. Yep. I did, yep. and it kind of built from that, you know? And I love that because it's all about relationships. Like I was saying early on, it's so interesting to me, like some reps and agents, they only want to talk to the ECD or the creative director or the group creative director. I'm like, what are you doing? Those guys don't, I mean, they do have the last word and, you know, the line of approvals, but it's the little guys that are up and coming. Like, you know, yeah. they're the ones coming up with the ideas. They're hungry. You know, you can't just talk to them. Yeah, they're hungry. You can't be Hillary Clinton and only talk to the big guys and not talk to the little people. Because yeah. they're the ones that are going to grow and become that creative director yeah. and group creative director and executive creative director down the line. And a lot of it, it's like, it's a personality match. It's kind of like dating. Like, do you guys get along well? <laughs> um, and that's also adding to like, oh, I really like that guy. We get along well creatively. It's a good fit. Let's call that guy in. So there's a bit of that. It's a lot of factors to take into consideration. Yeah, you got to have a lot of patience, I think, with this business. Mm-hmm. If, if you're going to be a freelance artist or whatever it may be, or anything really, you got to have patience. Like, I know um, this magazine I just got published in, Victory Journal, which is like a magazine I really love. And it took me like 
two and a half years of this kind of mm-hmm. keep reaching out, keep sending them stuff. And then finally I got to do some work with them. And it's like, I think a lot of times people are obviously hungry, but you got to have the patience and the follow through. Like I get emails yeah. from people that are like, oh, I emailed this person like once or twice and then nothing happened. I'm like, oh, I've gone to, I think I went to Mullen in Boston. I showed my portfolio for like every year for like four years. And then I finally got, yeah. I finally got jobs, you know? Yeah, it's all about timing, right? It's yeah. all about timing and what I'm working on. Like yeah. I said, like it's literally like I could be walking on dog food this week <laughs> yeah. and the next one could be like, I don't know, Taylor Swift. I don't know what I'm working on and it doesn't mean that you're appropriate for all of them either. So it's important to stay uh, on the radar for yeah. people because they don't know what's coming up. You don't know where I'm going to next, you mm-hmm. know? Like it's about those connections and staying diligent and in touch uh and then hopefully one of these days it makes sense yeah yeah it's just kind of keep uh this stay in the mix if you can stay in the game you can just keep it going let's keep that momentum going and um you know one thing i was always kind of curious about with the advertising world with like all the clients be it if you're working at a, producing at an agency or directly with a client um, do you prefer working with photographers that have an agent? Um, do you think it matters? If they, what does it bring to the table? You think? Um, I don't, I personally don't think it matters. I look at good work as good work. But what I am seeing sometimes at these client sides, uh, the onboarding process is so grueling that they are actually limited by what's already set up in the system. So in those cases, it's better off if you're with an agent that's set up in the system. Um, but again, that's not everyone, you know what I mean? I feel like, but also I'm a firm believer in hiring the right person for the job and not being limited by those things as much. So I always work extra hard in like sorting that stuff out if I I have to, and I only give up if I absolutely have to. So no, it's good to hear. And like, uh, how important is like, the estimating process and um, more and more, it seems like even with still photography shoots, all the clients, they want treatments. And um, are there like any common mistakes that photographers make when they're estimating on a job or putting a treatment together? Uh, How important are those things when people are uh, bidding on jobs, I guess? That's a great question. Um, I am seeing more treatments mandatory for photographers nowadays, which I thought was very interesting. Um, and, but you know, at the same time, cause it used to be just the creative call, but you talk to everyone bidding and see what they have to say. And if they're totally weird. Right? Yeah. And then sometimes you can save it. Cause some people you don't respond well right away. You need like a minute to process it and then get back. Yeah. And then, so I feel like the treatment could be good for that in that like, okay, I was on the fall call. I asked some questions and now I process it and this is what's in my head. So you show the team what's in your head. So it could really work in your favor or work against you. If what's in your head does, and align with the campaign that they have in their head. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the thing that I see a lot of with photographers' bids, it's like some photographers that are more green uh, have weird bids, and it's almost like really off-putting when you review it as a producer agency side. You're like, oh man, this is missing a ton of stuff. It's not really well thought out. It's just a it sets a tone, right, mm-hmm. on the working relationship. Or if you're working with a producer that is not very seasoned and you're missing a t- 
ton of stuff and it shows that you guys have not thought this through. Yeah. That's pretty bad. Additionally, oftentimes you, you, that estimate goes through a, um, cost, a consultant. cost consultant. Yeah. So it's like, if you have something super out of whack, they're going to call you out on it. And that also doesn't look good. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, yeah, it doesn't look good when you don't estimate well, or if you have a producer that isn't estimating it properly. Yeah, they're trying to like cut corners on costs for things that you you should just have just to kind of protect mm-hmm. yourself and make sure the production runs smoothly instead of trying to like exactly yeah yeah because obviously people are hungry for the job but if you try to lowball yourself you're, you're just hurting you're hurting yourself and then you're hurting everyone else in the industry too pretty much exactly and that's it's so important um i feel like there's a lot more junior people in the business or i mean i've been doing it 18 years so i'm like a dinosaur at this point uh and it's interesting as the more i do it and the more seasoned i am you know i find that i'm educating a lot of the more junior people more often uh hence my higher day rate because they just haven't been doing it that long Mm -hmm. so there are lots of mistakes uh, unfortunately, and it's up to those of us that really know what we're doing to like educate them and set these standards. Because otherwise, it's like a bit—it's a bit Lord of the Flies, if you ask me. And a lot of times, it's like, oh man, this is a hot mess, mm-hmm. um, and it's no good for everyone. And n- especially now with COVID, like, oh my gosh, you're not just not doing it right. It's high risk involved. You're risking people's health. That's not okay. Yeah, it's gonna it'd be interesting to see like what's gonna happen in terms of like, cause um, especially like a lot of the productions you're working on, um, advertising stuff, you can have 50, 60 people on a set sometimes um, where they're shooting a commercial and they're shooting stills at the same time. Um, what do you think? What do you think the future is going to be? I've seen, I've already seen photographers marketing themselves as like being able to like. Uh, have like digital services where the client can like view the shoot through a camera um, in the future where it's just the photographers on set and the clients remote. Um, is that something like you're thinking about for the future? Like, what do you think? I am uh, attending some of those webinars and whatnot just to be on uh, on top of it. Yeah. Uh, also my family is full of doctors and lawyers. So, uh, like my brother's an ER doctor. So I'm like wow. way on top of this stuff, yeah. uh, more than the average person. And also I have weak lungs, so I have compromised health. I have to take this seriously. Yeah. So I also, I'm, I'm in the point that I don't put other people at risk if I'm not willing to take the risk. So, you know, that's like out of respect for other people. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's the type of producer I am. I think what we're going to see, you know, simpler, and I mean simpler with smaller sets like, say, tabletop. That's easier yep. per se. Uh, you, I'm seeing remote reviews, digital tech remote reviewing, right, and then the client remote reviewing. So that, by default, you're going to have less shots in a day because there's a lot more lag time. Yeah. Also, you're only as fast as your hard drive. So I do think that with all this technology that's necessary for this to happen, you need top-of-the-line machines uh, for it to run smoothly in addition to a great internet connection. So these are the things I immediately see. Also, what that means for a photographer, I think, is like, can you do a home studio or something like that? Or if you don't, then what does your studio look like? Do you share with other people? How are you safe? 
Um, you know, if you have a stylist on set, what is that protocol and setting that expectation up up front? You're not going to get the amount of shots you were doing before from yeah. this because of that by default. In addition, if you don't have a prop stylist and you're now also the prop stylist and the disinfectant, like, mm-hmm. you know, be realistic about how many shots you think you can really safely get. Yeah. Um, I think that's, you know, and that's where your small shoots. I produce a lot of really complicated big shoots with like 200 people. Yeah. I don't even know what that means right now. It's too early. So I'm kind of waiting for Hollywood to open up and keeping tabs on what that looks like. And then what the standardization of liability look like. Are there waivers we can sign on set? Like, Hey, and you check temperature to make sure you don't have a fever, et cetera. And then, you know, in terms of food, if you're on set, like, what does that look like? Do you not serve yourself? Yeah. Do you have a dedicated safety PA? Um, and then do you sign a waiver after the shoot saying, yes, everything was clean, you know, according to the rules after you do the shoot? Because at the end of the day, it's like, unless there's a breakout from that shoot and every, like, a majority of the people are sick, you can't really prove where you got it from. Yeah. Right. So these are the things. So it's kind of like now you have insurance companies and payroll companies not willing to take on the liability of a pandemic. So I'm waiting for that to unfold to see what that looks like. Because, you know, I'm not that comfortable taking on all that liability yeah, myself. It's, it's tough because I was just thinking because um, I worked as a photo assistant when I first got out of college. And even like if you're working as a photo assistant or a grip where you're you're rigging lighting and you're building sets, you're working like you're, you're neck and you're like face to face sometimes with other assistants when you're putting up lights mm-hmm. and building sets. It's like there to do some of these like just even like basic lighting stuff like you you need to be you can't work six feet apart from each other just because it's just not even possible exactly. to set up like a and makeup and hair. Yeah, that's right Yeah. So, I mean, I have so many questions and we're just in the beginning of it and and we're going to find out as we go along. So that's why it's important for me to take these webinars and read all these articles from like experts yeah. in the field and stay on top of it and really figuring I'm figuring out as we go along too. I do think it's extra important to have those safety procedures in place and for people to be uh, following them because again this is people's health yeah for sure and i've been trying to stay positive about it because obviously it's going to be a new challenge in the way people create work but i, I view it almost it it's kind of an interesting challenge in a sense because it's really going to make you get everyone creative uh the creators are going to have to get creative on how they create work what kind of type of work they're creating and even the producers too mm-hmm. so it's like so it's kind of an interesting challenge in a sense. Obviously, it's going to be tough, but I'm um, I'm actually excited to see what kind of stuff people make. Like people have already been doing some yeah. interesting stuff from home. Like I saw some cool stuff, like Joe Pug- uh, Puglesi was doing out in LA, and uh, yeah, it should be interesting. But yeah, it's new territory, I guess. It's new territory for all of us, and like you said, like the the type of content people are able to create on their own, even like these millennials or teenagers at home doing all those TikToks, I'm just like blown away. I'm like, how the (laughs) hell do you do that? I'm like, with your phone. It's kind of like, I don't know. Maybe you see like better usage. I don't know. You know, there's a lot of user-generated content out there, and some of it is actually really impressive. Ain't gonna lie. And then in addition, even from current nowadays, as much as I hate to say the word influencer, uh, (laughs) it's like 
some of them create really good content on their own as well. So it's like, are they going to get more complicated because they have their own team that is able to create their own, you know? Mm -hmm. So these are the questions I have floating it. And I think there's only one way to find out and that's forward. Yeah. And like with the influencer stuff, because I had an art, art producer friend in Boston. Is that something you see more and more of where like, uh, like companies will just partner with like there's there's like photographers or like Instagram type photographers where they've never shot an assignment or like a campaign before, but they have a large following. So these brands will like partner with them. Um, is that something you kind of have worked with in the past or you see more and more of going forward, I guess? They're not like traditional, um, traditional yeah. photographers, but this, it's different, yeah. I guess. Um, totally. I mean, the thing with influencers, like some of them actually create really good content on their own. Like they have a full-on team. It's actually, I look at some of the stuff, I'm like, man, that's real good. Um, (laughs) And then the other, the other part to it is kind of like what I spoke to before, like creating content is only a part of the campaign. Mm -hmm. The media is a big part of it. So if you are an influencer, you've got 300,000 followers and your, your niche is say, you know, travel, and so me as a hotel to partner up with you, like, you know, it's actually in the contract, like you have to post this many posts in this duration of time in your, across all your social yeah. to your audience. So up the media buy is actually a part of the contract. So that's a big draw yeah. for people because also what you're seeing nowadays with social media, because I work so much in uh, the digital world um, mm-hmm. as well, is that there, the type of media that people like looking at in social is very different than your typical print ad or even billboard that's highly produced. People respond better to authentic yep. uh, stuff. And then also across different platforms, like TikTok is different from Twitter and it's different from Instagram, and, you know, and Snapchat. So it's just like, so it's usually pretty specific to a platform because that's what performs really well. Mm-hmm. Um, so marketers are paying attention to that because, you know, even nowadays, you know, the media buy and spend for different types of interactive and social, it's different than, say, t- back in 2002 when I was first doing it because you have a far bigger reach on some social and interactive than even TV nowadays. Yeah. Yeah, it's like if you if you can build your social media and uh, have a following, you in a sense you you have a lot more leverage than like a traditional photographer back in the day when it was just like a mm-hmm. day a day rate was usage because yeah. they're coming to you for a reason because you have eyes on your your platform I guess. Exactly, and oftentimes the other factor to that is like, is it in alignment to the brands that you're promoting? That's a big part of it. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, and then in terms of like when you're searching, if you have a project you're working on and you need to find a photographer, an illustrator, or whatever it may be, um, what are some ways? Where are you looking for work? If you need to find someone for a, a certain niche project or whatever it may be, are mm-hmm. you are you looking on Instagram? Do you have like a do you look at Workbook, AdEdge, any of these different platforms that the photographers market themselves on? So oftentimes in the creative uh, deck in the briefing, my art directors already have a mood board in there mm-hmm. uh sometimes they tell you who it is sometimes 
they don't, but I just know it because I've been doing it so long. But oftentimes I'm seeing new stuff I haven't seen. So once you see it, then I supplement that to like, oh, you should look at this person and that person, maybe this and that to have a much rounder list to go from. Um, so nowadays, like I said, because I don't have giant cabinets like I did at FCB, yep. <laughs> uh, it's mostly digital. So I have my own, you know, yeah. on my safari that's pretty organized because it's how it works i mean when i had an office with a whole you know bookshelf it's mm-hmm. like yeah i did go to workbook i look on the book it depends what it is and then you do a search a lot of it's based on who you've worked with some of it is through my instagram feed because i i love beautiful imagery so i tend to follow people with beautiful imagery yeah. uh, as well and pinterest is another great place to look as well uh, nowadays for stuff like that because it's a great digital mood board yeah. uh, and you know and random visual blogs that I just regularly uh, follow daily that's how I get my inspirations nice and uh, what's kind of you've been doing this for a while like uh, uh, what's like the biggest change to the business since you've been in in been doing this do you find that this keeps keeps evolving and kind of keeps cha- changing and you have to kind of like continually build on your skill set um, to be like an effective producer, you think? Oh, absolutely. I think the, um, you know, when I first started, internet was new. Yeah. You know, so at that point, when you're producing shoots, you're faxing in your stuff, you're, you know, <laughs> and things are much lower pace. Like you lock it in, you shoot in two weeks, there are no changes to that book. Now, because of how fast we're moving with internet and everything changing constantly, yeah. like oftentimes I'm getting changes to my shot list the night before, yeah. and then I'm up till three in the morning readjusting my schedule and then, you know, giving it out to my crew um, until like, you know, God knows what time. So that in itself, I hate actually, because I, I'm working more than ever because of it. Mm. Um, and, but at the same time I charge more for it, so I could care less. Um, <laughs> but I do find that even since the beginning of 2000 to now, my budgets were a lot healthier back then yeah. from the heydays of the dot com, where like, you know, $100,000 a day for a photo shoot was pretty normal yeah. nowadays. Not so much. It's mm. like, I mean, I still get them sometimes, but it's not like it used to be. Mm. I feel like I'm also producing twice as many deliverables with the same budget. So I'm producing twice as much with half as much nowadays, mm. uh, just due to the media consumption online. Um, so that's, and I do think that's continually going to change. And now with COVID, you know, because no one has jobs, marketing budgets are going to be smaller. I do wonder if we're going to experience what we did in 2008 with um, lower budgets and fees and rates. So this will be interesting because also now we need safety protocols. So, yeah. you know, some some ways you do save in terms of client travel and maybe client amenities. But in other ways, you need you're shooting less shots per day and you need like a safety PA and other things to yeah. disinfect uh, and whatnot. So we'll see how this unfolds. Yeah, definitely. No, it's exciting and different, but uh, we'll get through it. Um, 
but yeah, I guess to wrap up, like you've been doing this for a while. What kind of keeps you inspired? What kind of keeps you going? And uh, I guess what's what's next for uh, Amy? Um, I love you know all things creative. So like I said, I follow visual and art blogs, and that's how how it keeps me inspired by looking at new things other people are creating as bad as it is right now. It's kind of like, I look at some of this stuff. It's like, man, there's a lot of really amazing things being made all the time. If you know where to look for it. Yeah. Uh, and, and that is super inspiring. Um, you know, again, I'm a fine artist, so I do lean into the art world quite a bit, but even if not, it's like you look at what's available in music and some of these shows that are available. They're like, gorgeousness Uh, and that's what keeps me inspired and i'm like a super nerd so i always watch (laughs) all the behind the scenes and figure out like how that was done like you know like ooh, that's cool so so i think also with me working across different mediums i force myself to learn new things all the time Mm. that's just my personality because i'm super nerdy uh and i don't like people saying no you can't do that like (laughs) i am gonna do that you can't say no to me i'm gonna figure it out and do it anyway yeah. What, what what was the last show that you got into that was uh that you really got into? Ooh, that's so hard. Like so I watch a obscene amount of anime, just I think like the Japanese sensibility. It's like how do you make something so mundane into something so strange, so sexual and funny and yeah. charming at the same time? Like that impresses me to no end. But in terms of show wise, my two favorite are Penny Dreadful and uh Peaky Blinders. Those two are just so stunning uh, in every way in terms of costume, makeup, sets, and just story. Like, yeah. my gosh. Wow. Yeah. No, no definitely. I, I haven't checked out Peaky Blinders, but it's on my list. Um, but yeah, so beautiful. A- Amy, I can't thank you enough. It was a real pleasure. And I got to give a big shout out to uh, uh, Jacob Pritchard. Who, Jacob he, Pritchard. Yeah, I never <laughs> hear this email. He's like, you got to talk to Amy. I'm like, all right, let's do it. Uh, so I can't thank you enough. And Jacob and yeah yes and so uh, great um yeah and for people listening if they want to check out more of your work i know you got a website i think virtually non-existent.com which has a bunch of your um portfolio stuff up up there right exactly i know it's a lengthy one because it was kind of as a joke like you can't spell it you can't get a hold of me It was so lovely chatting with you, and I'm so glad your computer works again in times of this pandemic so you can (laughs) do all kinds of, I don't know, YouTube watching. (laughs) Perfect. (laughs) Well, I'll I'll cut it there, but thank you so much. So there you have it. That was the Amy Yvonne You interview. Um, Just want to thank Amy so much for taking the time to come on the podcast. It was a real pleasure talking to her about everything she's worked on over the course of her career. Um, Just a lot of amazing projects she's worked on, be it still campaigns, motion, illustration, you name it. She's worked on so much. Um, So definitely go check out her website at virtuallynonexistent.com. She kind of has her portfolio slash reel and different projects she's worked on, as well as you can find her on Instagram at Amy Yvonne U. Um, I'll put everything in the description, the links and whatnot, so you can go check out more of her work. Um, So can't thank her enough. And as always, I'll be having weekly podcasts every Monday on iTunes, Spotify, as well as my website, alexgagnephoto.com, and on my Instagram, at alexgagnephoto. Thanks so much for listening, and take care.